Hey everyone, welcome to season three, episode three of the Right Words podcast. I am Hayley Walsh, your regular host, author of Lighthearted Fiction, and as always, I'm coming to you from Darug Country in far western Sydney at the base of the beautiful Blue Mountains. Now, I am so excited. This episode is our very first takeover episode for the season. We will be bringing you a magical interview with Canadian fantasy author Natalie Bartley. But I'm not your host for this interview. Our podcast takeover host is none other than my friend, Australian fantasy and sci-fi author Laurie Bell. I also sit down for a chat with Laurie about her own work. Now, the girls had a fantastic chat and I don't want to give too much away, so stay tuned. Now, as our guest author is Canadian, our Writing Around the World news segment will focus on Canada and the writing events coming up in the next couple of months. Now, I am very privileged and really excited to be bringing you a fantastic author spotlight from Australian positivity queen and influencer, the wonderful Heidi Anderson, author of Drunk on Confidence, Unapologetically Me, From Lost and Anxious to Self-Assured. And to top it all off, I'm going to give you some of my own writing advice. After a recent poll I held on Twitter, most of the listeners said they would like this little segment to be added to the podcast. So listeners, ask and you shall receive. So sit back, relax and enjoy this jam-packed episode. So a really common question a lot of writers ask is how do I get the most out of beta reader feedback? If you're an author, you might ask yourself, do I need a beta reader? What's the purpose? When we finish writing our first draft, we feel like we can conquer Mount Everest. It may not be perfect, but it's ours and it's finished. Time to celebrate. But how do we know if it reads well? How do we know there are no plot holes we may have missed? And did the character Mike's name somehow change to Mark midway through the manuscript? Are the characters relatable? Well, this is where having a beta reader read your book and give you feedback can be really helpful. A beta reader is given the completed draft of the book with the understanding that they will read the book and provide feedback the author can use to improve the manuscript. Allowing a handful of beta readers to read the early manuscript gives the author the opportunity to correct any major issues before moving on to the next stage. So how do we get the most out of this process? Firstly, ensure you have polished the manuscript to the best of your ability yourself before sending it through to be read. Then give your beta readers specific guidance on the feedback you are looking for. For example, was there anything you found confusing or made little sense? Is there enough tension throughout the story? Did the first 10 pages draw you in? And did you find the ending satisfying? Try to collect and then categorise the feedback. Decide what you want to ignore. When I wrote Making March, one beta reader simply didn't get the humour. The other three did. I went with my gut instinct and ignored the one that didn't like it, as I believe the humour worked well for the story. Then collate all the positive feedback. What did the beta readers like? Put aside all the feedback you're not sure about and come back to it later. Make a to-do list of all the beta reader suggestions you are going to take on board. So now you have a long list of to-dos. Do you see any patterns? where all the beta readers are saying the same thing. Pick them out and line them all up in a timeline from beginning to the end of the book. Now the fun part begins. You have your feedback organised and most likely have some great ideas on how you can improve the book. So which feedback thread do you rank the highest in importance? Start with that one and work your way through them all. 
Once you have finished the editing process, send it out for another round of beta reads. If you get more positive feedback than the first time, you know you have improved your story. So writers, if you have recently finished a polished draft, what are you waiting for? Go forth and conquer that mountain. Don't give up because you are so close to the peak. Welcome everyone to our Writing Around the World news segment. And in honour of our very special author guest this month, we are jetting off to Canada to see what writerly events are coming up in the next few months. First up, we have the Words on the Street Annual Festival, and this will take place on the 27th and 28th of May at Queen's Park, Toronto, Ontario. The festival will feature over 100 exhibitors and six stages of programming for book lovers of all ages. For more information, visit toronto.thewordonthestreet.ca. The Riverside Reading Series will be hosting its first Writers' Festival to celebrate the first anniversary of the series on the 24th of June in Paris, Ontario. More information will be announced very soon. So hop onto the website alisonfishburn.com slash events for more information. The Sunshine Coast Festival of the Written Arts is Canada's longest-running literary festival with the mandate to present Canadian writers exclusively. The festival celebrates authors of a wide range of genres and strives to be inclusive and accessible with programming that includes and reflects diverse communities. With opportunities for writers and readers to mingle amidst Rockwood's Heritage Gardens, this event celebrates the talents of storytelling for all ages. It is being held from the 17th of August to the 20th of August in Seashelt, British Columbia. For more information, go to writersfestival.ca. And last but not least, Word Vancouver is a free annual literary arts festival held in September with special events leading up to the festival. Their mission at Word is to foster connectivity, inclusivity, inspiration and bring the joy of the written word to all who attend. This is being held in Vancouver, British Columbia from the 14th to the 24th of September. To find out more, go to wordvancouver.ca. Now that was just a few of the events coming up in the next few months in Canada, but if you're in Canada, be sure to check them out. Well, hello, hello, hello. I'm Heidi Anderson, and I am the author of Drunk on Confidence. Uh, if you haven't stalked me, hello, you might need to do that right now. At underscore Heidi Anderson is where you'll find me. And I spend a lot of my time there, so that's on Instagram. I am a former breakfast radio host. I have been in the Big Brother house. I got kicked out on day 40, I think, 43. It's in my book anyway. <laughs> Had to fact check that. Had to fact had to fact check that. I was going to delete that, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to keep going. So what you'll find from me is I'm all about fuck ups. I'm all about celebrating imperfections. And one of the big things that I've stepped into since leading Breakfast Radio, publishing my book, uh, is coaching women. And so many of us, when we show up on social media, we feel like we've got to be perfect. And so I am keeping that little at the start, <laughs> just so you know that I'm perfectly imperfect. Um, 
You'll also see if you stalk me on Instagram, if you haven't already, that I have two podcasts. One is with my husband called First Time Parents, and we are currently sharing our relationship therapy sessions. It's fucking big. And the other one is called Champagne Confidence, which when you read my book, you'll hear a lot about that. Um, I'm a keynote speaker and I travel all over Australia with a movement that you're going to read in my book. And it's basically I get uh, you into your bra and undies and we walk through public places in our bra and undies, in our most vulnerable, in what I call the power walk of no shame. And we just most recently did that at Melbourne Fashion Week. And can I just say, it is one of the most scariest, liberating, most peaceful things you'll ever do. And once you get to know me, I use my body, you'll, you'll know that I use my body to start conversations around body confidence and body acceptance. Once you dive into the book, you'll start where I kind of share my story. So as a breakfast radio host that I used to be, one of the very first most pivotal moments of my career was I was two years into breakfast radio. I was working in a little place called Bunbury in Western Australia. We had a network radio show and I had a moment where I shared my shit live on the radio and I told everyone that I hated what I saw in the mirror, that I struggled to like myself, um, that I wasn't as confident and bubbly and outgoing as everyone thought I was. And that moment changed my whole fucking life. And so I start there in my book and it since then, which is 11 years this year, which is crazy, um, I have been on a journey of self-discovery. And, you know, this is why my book is, you know, basically going from lost and anxious to self-assured. And, you know, I am very self-assured. I am very confident. And, you know, if you follow me on socials and stuff, I really do put myself out there every single day. But that is because what I realised after I shed my shit on the radio that day is the only way that I was going to unleash confidence was by pushing myself outside my comfort zone. So that's why I continue to show up. And so many people say, oh, you're so authentic. Oh my God, I love you, Heidi. (laughs) Which is so nice. Such a nice compliment, isn't it? Um, But for me, that's that's been work, you know, like I talk a lot in my book about the voices in our head and, you know, your inner mean girls. And for so long, I let them rule the show and, and they kept me small, believe it or not, <laughs> even though I was working in radio, but they, they kept me scared of other people's opinion. They kept me quiet. And I don't mean quiet by using my voice. I mean, quiet by actually no, by using my voice. Like they kept me quiet by sharing my absolute real truth. And so, yeah, this has been, this has been a a, a massive, massive journey for me. And I've, I've loved it. (laughs) I've hated it. I wanted to run away. And, you know, I think when you go on a a self-discovery journey, like you have to sit in the shit, you know, and sitting in the shit is some of the most uncomfortable you know, work you'll ever do. (laughs) Sitting in the shit is work. But on the other side is magic. And that's what I let people know happens when you decide to go on finding your confidence and unleashing your confidence. Like you've got to sit in the shit. You've got to get uncomfortable. Like I believe you've got to step into courage to build your confidence. And another thing that I really believe around confidence, which, you know, 
is my journey the last 11 years of, of trying to unleash that is I actually believe we all have confidence within us. And so if you're sitting there going, well, I don't know if I do in this area of my life. Yeah, sure. Like there's so many areas of my life that I'm still working on myself. And I'm, I would sit with maybe like a five out of 10 with confidence if with 10 being fuck off amazing. But then in other areas, I'm like 10, 11, 12, like I'm off the Richter scale because I've done the work. But I don't believe that we need to find confidence through other people. I believe that deep inside us, buried underneath what the inner mean girls are saying, deep, really, truly underneath all the shitty lies that we tell ourselves and the limiting self-beliefs that we have or the stories that, you know, we've carried with us for lifetimes because of magazines, TV shows, friends, enemies, people at school, parents, you know, our inner critic stories. I believe buried deep within there is confidence. And I believe that we all have confidence when we're little. We all were born with confidence. I believe this love, this pure love and confidence and wholeness. And then we lose it along the way. Like we've got to be confident to take our first breath, to walk, you know, to, to, when we, I watch my little toddler now, he's three and a half and I watch him and he is this little kid who, you know, when he first decided to, that he was going to walk, he fell down at least 50,000 times. I think it took him like about six months from <laughs> crawling to actually walking on his own. He, he was a bit of a slow learner, but the thing is he didn't, he didn't sit there and go like, well, fuck, I'm a failure. Like he kept going. And I think For me to see that, like I've seen him use confidence every day. Like I see him get dressed and, you know, put his little hot pink boots on his gum boots and he goes to daycare two days a week and he's got to be confident to do that. And yeah, sure. He's, you know, stepping into his, um, you know, his bravery and courage, which I believe we need to do to build confidence. And so for me, I'm like, you know, when you take your first bit of food and all this kind of stuff, like you've got to be confident, like you've got to trust. And so I believe that we have it all within us, but we lose it along the way through, you know, situations that happen to us, things that people say, things we read, see, you know, the world around us. And then we start to lose it. And then, you know, all the limiting beliefs and lies and stories start to build up. And then we're like, fuck, I have no confidence. Like, and you get in your head and you, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that and blah, 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 blah. And then we sit and we just stay in the same place and we feel stuck. And the inspiration for my book is really for you to let you know that I'm not anyone special. I'm not anyone lucky that you can have the confidence that I have as well. And that's what my book is all about. It really takes you on a journey to understand the voices in your head. It takes you on the journey to confront those voices, understand them, become friends with them. And then it goes through all of the things that I've done over the last 11 years to unleash my confidence, the conversations I've had, the tools that I've used. Um, And I do that through storytelling of my radio career, my media career, um, having a son and, you know, um, really starting to find love for myself. And so on that note, I am going to read you 
one of the chapters, one of my favourites, it, it is called Born to Be a Mum. It's towards the end of the book. So Drunk on Confidence, you can get it in bookstores, most bookstores. Um, it did sell out a lot before Christmas around many of the bookstores. There's a few bookstores left. Um, send me a message. We'll chuck it in show notes as well um, to a link onto my website. But I also can read it to you. I've got an audio book, which is super exciting. And you can get it on Booktopia, Amazon, Dimix, QBD, um, Mighty Ape, Readings, Readings, whatever it's called, like a whole bunch. Um, if not, send me a message if you're stuck. And what I will say is if you can review it, if you love it, obviously if you don't love it, I don't really want your review, but <laughs> only if it's five stars, guys, um, <laughs> please. Uh, it means the world, like as an author, especially a new one. It's not really a money-making thing as a new author um, that, you know, my publishing company, Big Sky Publishing, took a chance on me. It is very much about me getting this book into the hands of others and, you know, others seeing it and, uh, you know, me telling my story and impacting people around the world. So it would mean the absolute world if you can do that for me, uh, honestly, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. And here is Born to Be a Mum by me, Heidi Anderson, my memoir, Drunk on Confidence. As I sit here typing away, Memphis has just woken up and I realised that I couldn't be further from the girl that I once was. I decided not to return to the radio airwaves in December 2019. I know, what the fuck? I wrote WTF, by the way. (laughs) I've become everything I once feared. My biggest concern was losing who I once was and that fear became a reality after Memphis was born, but I couldn't be more excited and pumped with who and where I am today. The thought of returning to work was giving me extreme anxiety. I realised when I was pushing Memphis along the beach on one of our early morning strolls that life was too short to go back to work for the pay packet. For so long as I was for so long I was addicted to the money, but I realised pretty soon after I had him that money is helpful and can buy nice things, but it's not everything. I had all I needed in my arms. I was addicted to the cash flow and the fame of that life, but something happened on my maternity leave. I found peace. Stepping out of the radio bubble made me realise that my job was a huge trigger for me and for the first time in 10 years, I felt free from my inner demons. My entire identity was attached to the radio show, so to not return in 2020 was a big bloody deal, but by far the best thing I've ever done. I did wonder how I would survive outside the radio game if I was to ever leave. What would I do? Where would I work? Could I go back to a nine-to-five job? But that fear kept me in a bubble that wasn't always the best for my mental health. I wanted to quit on several occasions, but I was too scared, scared of the unknown. And here I am, almost three years into my post-radio life, and I can tell you that I've never felt so aligned with where I'm at today. I was born to be Memphis's mum. I was born to be free. I was born to feel authentic. And I was born to be me. <laughs> makes me so emotional. If you want to see my cute ass son, uh, Memphis, he's a little character, uh, you can stalk me on Instagram at underscore Heidi Anderson. I'll drop my website in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, for getting around me, my book. Um, it's yeah, you can read the synopsis. You can read all the testimonials that I've got, um, you know, and what people have said about the book, just some of the feedback that I've had is I love this book so much since reading it I have a new job and I've had a couple of dates with a lovely man not getting drunk 
and doing what I'm used to do, which would be drink and end up in bed with him because I am now drunk on confidence. Hi, Heidi, you are amazing mom. Um, you're an amazing woman. I have just finished your book. Love, love, loved it. Um, your mum told me about your book and I just picked up a copy. Thank you for your courage and truth. I haven't been able to put it down. <sighs> Brilliant. Heidi was a way of showing up with authenticity and rawness, just as she would chatting to a bunch of mates, whether it's in person or on a podcast or in, um, or in person. I've been following Heidi's journey for a while. So naturally I knew I had to support her by buying her book. I struggled to read books because of ADHD and dyslexia. So I was excited when I actually gave myself the time to sit down and read this. I loved it. Related in so many ways. Oh, so good. Um, so they've just started doing some work next door. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can hear that. It's wrapping me up anyway. Um, Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening today. Thank you to Hayley for having me. Uh, if you want to stalk anything that I do, head to my website, HeidiLeeAnderson.com. I'll drop it all in show notes and any way you can get around the book would be absolutely amazing. And uh, one last little thing, how I always like to wrap up. You get one life. That's it. This is how I live mine. I don't care if the random stranger on the beach thinks I'm fat in my bikini. If the random stranger on social media doesn't think I'm aesthetically pleasing or filtered enough. If the parents at the park think I'm a picture perfect mum or not. Stop giving away your power and stop giving a shit what people think. Hello everyone. I am here with our podcast takeover host for this episode, Aussie sci-fi and fantasy author, Laurie Bell. I'm going to read you a fun little bio that I admit I shamelessly stole <laughs> off Laurie's <laughs> Amazon author page, and it reads, Laurie Bell is the author of the Stones of Power series, White Fire and The Boss from Hell. She is a lover of fantasy and science fiction of all kinds and is often found in coffee shops or on trains writing madly in one of her many notebooks. Oh, and she loves chocolate and coffee. Well, apart from writing, Laurie, there are two more things we now have in common. Welcome and thank you for hosting this wonderful takeover interview. You're very welcome. I had so much fun with it. <laughs> yes, you did. And for all our listeners, um, Laurie has an infectious giggle. I love it. She's happy, 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 and she's always laughing. So she's now a brave I'll be self-conscious. <laughs> How's that? That works lovely. That's a good plug, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> So um, just for our listeners, um, before we get into finding a little bit, out a little bit more about Laurie's work, mm -hmm. Laurie and I became friends because we were both guests on the Australian Book Lovers podcast, which yes. is really nice, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I just absolutely love Veronica and Darren and the, the whole website is a brilliant, um, supportive, oh, just everything to, to Aussie, Aussie writers and Aussie book lovers. Yeah, absolutely. So um, because that's how we met each other, um, even though Laurie and I are in different states, yep. um, but we have become friends on social media, thanks to the Australian Book Lovers podcast. Yes. So we really wanted to give them a plug. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're an Aussie reader and you're looking for a good Aussie read or you're an Aussie author looking to promote your work, make sure you check out the website. Um, Veronica and Darren are very supportive and inclusive, aren't they? They're wonderful. They are absolutely wonderful. And they they will jump on any, any question and any request. They're just adorable. I love them both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, Laurie, can we start? Um, can you tell our listeners where you're coming from today and who are the traditional, I can't even get my words out, we'll start again, <laughs> who are the traditional owners of the land that you live and work on? Yes, so it's Wurundjeri, 
land, um, mm -hmm. the, the Woiwurrung people, and I very much hope that I'm saying that in a way that at least someone can understand. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> I really don't want to do it injustice. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What about yourself? Yeah, so I'm coming from Darug country, which is in far western Sydney. So whereabouts in Victoria um, are you situated? Oh, I'm out in the east, so um, a good a good hours drive out from the city out east, where it's all mountainous and uh, where there's lots of trees and lots of greenery and a heap of wineries. <laughs> Fantastic! Goes well with chocolate. Well, that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> that in the ice cream yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely now laura you got to interview the wonderful um natalie bartley natalie who's a fantasy author from fabulous. canada yes yes but before we talk about your interview with natalie i really mm -hmm. wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your work oh my goodness where do i start <laughs> well let me tell about... you how about we start with when did you publish your first book? Ah, okay, so 2018 was my first book, which was The Butterfly Stone, and that was done through a little indie pub publisher uh, based in the US, so Wyvern's Peak Publishing, and they've just been amazing with my, my little series, my Stones of Power series. So I now have three books out with them. And the fourth very soon will be going to them. I'm sure they're <laughs> wondering where it is. Um, so the first three are The Butterfly Stone, The Tiger's Eye and The Crow's Heart, which just came out at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. So that's been really exciting. Um, and I also have, oh, which is a, sorry, I should actually talk about that, those books. So <laughs> they are a YA fantasy yep. story full of magic and mystery um, and involve a lot of magical necklaces. Ah, so that's a lot of fun. I have several young fans who message me almost daily, it feels like. Oh, <laughs> begging, how awesome is that? Begging to know what the next stone is called and begging to know what... <laughs> what the title of the next book is and I hate to disappoint them every time but I kind of evilly chuckle at the same time so oh but isn't that nice <laughs> when you get readers contacting you like it's that that's fantastic wonderful it's such a good feeling because they've both finished it and um the the younger one she's she's had to really power through the the books and and her reading skills are just amazing I'm so impressed with her so they're they're both they're both under 11 so I just adore them um and I have quite a few nieces as well and, and a nephew who are all all avid readers so I I do get a lot of feed a lot of feedback <laughs> well if you have any tips on how to get my stepsons to read I would really appreciate it oh well I tell you what the 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 one thing because I actually do have a story about my nephew. He hated reading and would quite often tell me, oh, not another book, oh, Ronnie Laurie. <laughs> but, but that's all I do. I, I just give books. You just you just have to accept that. And um, but I got him a great series called the 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 um the bad guys. And they are so much fun, these books. They're very uh, sort of graphic novel -y. They're very picture-based. Mm -hmm. And I told my um, brother-in-law that he had to read these books with with him. And from the giggling and the carry-on in the <laughs> other room with them reading these books, <laughs> it just got him hooked. And he started reading them on his own after after a while because he had so much fun. 
so fun fantastic and how old is he fun and reading that was that was back when he was seven he's now oh get in trouble now he's he's now uh going on 12 or is Ah, he so the same age as my youngest he's just turned 12 a couple months ago okay yeah because my youngest stepson just turned 11 in november Ah. so well i I do like messaging them and finding out their book orders for (laughs) for birthdays and christmas now because they jump on it which i love yeah fantastic anything Mm. that encourages kids to read i'm all for Absolutely, and I have to say that the, some of the messages that I've gotten from a few from a few kids with with my YA series, it's it, it has been a lot of fun. With this, they've offered suggestions and guesses as to what the what the next stone might be. So you should get online and hold like a little competition, shouldn't you? I know that'd I be know. fun. That would be a lot of fun. So, although I do know, I do know the title of the next one. I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Keep keep that it's under wraps. It's a secret. Um, so I do have some other books. I I also write science fiction. So I've got a uh, science fiction series. I've I've got book one. I'm working on book two at the moment. So White Fire is book one. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a collection of short stories that come out of White Fire, which is called. Oh. Because I've, I've actually got it jotted down in front of me to ask you a little bit more about that. Yes, yes. It's a great story, that one. So the, the book of short stories is called The Good, The Bad and The Undecided. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is uh, well, White Fire I wrote way, 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 way back in time <laughs> when I was 17. <laughs> in a galaxy far 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 away (laughs) um so yes that was actually my first book with white fire and and i've also recently released a book called boss from hell which is a genre mash supernatural paranormal yep horror comedy yeah we're going to dive into that one as well because that's on my kindle waiting to be read it's in my to be read pile yes because that really appealed to me I thought oh I'm going to get my hands on that one so that um, I will give you as many hints as I can (laughs) I will let you know when I start reading it all right sweet (laughs) so here's a good question for you Mm. what do you love about writing sci-fi and fantasy What makes you happy? So much. Mm. I get to make up, and the passion comes through. So I really want to know what you love about it. Oh, it's it's the the ability to have anything happen. Mm -hmm. Um, that that's that's probably the biggest thing that that you can use a science fiction or a fantasy to discuss issues that are going on today and and contemporary issues and past issues and all sorts of things but you can do them in a way that is it it allows you to explore all the the different things that that could come out of that um so all the possibilities oh absolutely particularly with sci-fi there's this well and with fantasy I love fantasy so it's yeah there's endless that you can have all sorts of monsters and fire I do love a good fight scene do you <laughs> I love a good now, space your fight battle. scenes are they gory are they like you know Game of Thrones or depends are we a bit on the more book. <laughs> depends on the book uh okay. boss, boss from hell gets a little bit uh gets a little bit scary towards the end fantastic um, I can't I've wait I've actually got a science fiction I'm working on right now that is hopefully Hopefully, here's a spoiler for you, an exclusive. Hopefully, it will be coming out in the next couple of months. Oh. Yeah. And that one that one actually is probably the darkest of, of my books that I've written so far. That one's quite there's, – there's a lot of 
there's a bit of gore that that might come through. Okay, through in that one. But uh, it's one of my favourites. I say that about every book. Don't listen to me. (laughs) Every book's my (laughs) favourite. It's it's like asking if you've got a favourite child, isn't it? You can't really answer that question. No, exactly. Can't answer it at all. I've got, you know, different things to like about all of them. But (laughs) yeah, yeah. And obviously, oh, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just finishing up saying, yeah, that's probably my darkest one, that that one to soon come out. So, yeah, because writing fantasy, like I, um, that's something that's very foreign to me and like mm-hmm. I have trouble, you know, getting a book written set in the world that we live in. So med- <laughs> never mind finding time to build a whole new world. Yep. So you got a chance to talk to Natalie, didn't you, about yes, world building? about world yeah, building. Yeah, yeah. So what do you like about that process? I think I like the fact that that I can literally let my mind go crazy Mm-hmm. And and just jot down. I'll, I'll start off with just jotting down everything that I can about a particular world, and and it, it all comes out of a character for me. It's it depends on how that character views the world and the the things that happen to that character that then allows them to either influence that world, whether it's in a fantasy or whether it's in a science fiction, and. Oh, so, things, so the character comes first for you, yeah, not the plot. Yeah, That's interesting. It is. It's it's always the character for me. And um, it's quite interesting because that lets me build the world around the character and how they interact with it is then how I learn about the world. Okay. If that okay. makes sense. I'm, I'm very much a, a pantser. In so that am sense. I. Don't worry. <laughs> in that sense, it, it, the character tells me the story. <laughs> Yep, sometimes I just get to a fork in the road and go, I'll just put that aside until the character gives me the answer of which direction yep. we're going to go in. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yep. that's what it is. And sometimes I'll read back through things and think, oh, oh, that was good. <laughs> I don't know how See, I that's a great that. idea. That was lovely. We will run with that. That's yeah, fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> so, Laurie, going back mm. to um, the Stones of Power series, yes. what actually inspired you know, that idea of, you know, searching for the magic stones and, you know, so what have inspired that story, those stories? You know, I write a lot of prompt fiction, a mm-hmm. lot of flash fiction and 100-word prompt stories based on a photo, uh, which is called Friday Fictioneers, which I do every single week on my blog. And that the actual concept of, of Butterfly Stone came from a 1,000-word prompt piece that I wrote a couple of years prior to when I decided to actually do something with the stories and and flesh it out. And that actually, I think it's still it's still in the book. It's it's chapter nine, I think, um, which is a, a short scene where the poor little protagonist is stuck inside of a closet. Right. <laughs> and okay. she's got to get out using her magic. Ah, okay. And I I literally wrote that off a prompt. The prompt was pick a book, then pick a page, then pick a paragraph, and then the concept out of that paragraph, write something. So that was the prompt or along those lines. And I wrote a thousand, yeah, a thousand words about a, a young girl stuck in a cupboard and it developed from there. I really liked the character and thought, well, okay, why is she stuck in the cupboard? And how did she get there in the first place? And yep. how, how does she have magic? And what is this world that she lives in? And it really just built from there. And, and I wrote that book um, just as a, a, a bit of fun, really. And while I was 
working, I, I work in admin, so I catch the train and while I'm on the train, I have a tendency to <laughs> write or read. So yep. it sort of just wrote itself. <laughs> and it turned into a, a three-book series. So Well, it's actually have... five. It's oh, it's five. five. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you whether there's only three or there's more coming. So. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So I've got book four that should be going to the publisher after a couple more edits. And then I need to start working on them. <laughs> need to start writing book five. <laughs> and did you know from the start that you wanted to write a series or it just evolved? Yeah. And yeah, that that, that one I knew because I had five necklaces as a part right. of the plot line with with the butterfly stone. Um, things happen during the story. I, I don't want to go into too much detail and give it too too much yeah. away. But no spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah, but the the magical necklaces are a bit of an issue, and each one sort of pops up per book. So I kind of had an inkling that there would be five books ish depending on if people liked it. <laughs> I'm sure they do. And what about, do you think, um, have you got another series rolling around in your head or? Well, I think Boss from Hell could end up with another book or two. Oh, or, okay. Or possi- possibly a few. Um, certainly White Fire, I've got, I'm working on book two of White Fire at the moment, the, the sequel. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a tendency to not, quite fully wrap up things or or something pops up I can so relate so how many works (sighs) in progress do you have at the moment I've got three oh my god I've got uh, yeah three we'll we'll go with three (laughs) are you you being honest are you being honest Laurie come on is there more than three there might be more than three okay okay yeah and I haven't started plotting book five yet so I should probably work on that at some point (laughs) <laughs> now, now I have to ask you because um, Boss from Hell is obviously something a little bit different for you. So, as you said, it's a um, paranormal mystery with a dash of comedy mm. and horror. So, I must admit, when I looked at the um, the blurb, yep. the comedy was what really drew me into the oh, book. So, good. I like a bit of dark comedy and a bit of humor. <sighs> so, that's what appealed to me. So, Excellent. where did the idea for this one come from? And is it based on a real boss, or can you say? Well, do you know I've had so many paranoid bosses, ex-bosses of mine, <laughs> message me or email me and uh, is this is this something that I should be worried about? And no, it, I will be completely honest, all my bosses can relax so far. <laughs> right. So, so it's completely fictional. Yeah, it is. It's not based fictional. on any truth. Okay. No, no. Um, I will admit there's a there's a bit of truth from my point of view come through in the sense of um the poor little admin, because I do work in admin. So there there might be some little hints of various experiences that I've had in my life. Um <laughs> my parents think it is probably one of the closer books to me. Right. In the sense of humour that comes through. Um, I love it. I, know I, love, it. I were... love, as you know, like I write humour myself. So that's what really appealed to me when I yeah, read it. Yeah, I love your humour. The books that you write are fabulous. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. I don't think I've laughed so hard reading <laughs> some of your works. <laughs> You're talking about making March, right? That's a yes. bit, yeah, it's a bit yeah. cheeky. It, it it had me in hysterics in a few in a few points and and possibly that's uh, yeah I, I knew I had this one coming along and and yep. it's got a bit of comedy and might have got a bit self conscious at that point because I'm like well it's funny to me but 
maybe no one else will find it funny. No, what I'm sure. I'm sure about? I will. And especially, is it a bit of? It's a bit of dark humor. I'm assuming. There, there's a bit of a bit of everything. Okay. <laughs> there's a bit of klutzy humor as well, and then there's some some oh poor me moments that <laughs> that do pop up. Um, yes, I I like good old Mig. She's and it's funny because Boss from Hell. I originally the idea came to me while I was working at volunteering at my local theatre company and I was sitting out the front I was doing the we were doing the teas and coffees and I worked with two adorable elderly ladies who will be very cross that I've called them elderly (laughs) and I just I just adore them but the things that they would tell me about their pasts and their histories and the things they got where do you think I get so much inspiration from my books because I work with older people yeah just the most hilarious things like they've got some good stories haven't they absolutely so I had actually said to them both right I'm writing you into a story And and I have to admit, I do have two elderly nanas in 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 this story that are that that they're they're not quite based on these two ladies, but certainly the senses of humour is absolutely them to a T. And I just oh, I miss them both. One one's now passed on, but I oh, just miss okay. working with them so much. Yeah, I, I really had hoped to get it out before she she passed on, but unfortunately that didn't I didn't get my timing right with all of that, which was a bit of a shame. But um yeah, she it is dedicated to her. So Oh, that's lovely. That's yeah. lovely. Look, after talking to you about it, it's definitely made its way up my to be red oh, list. Because I think it's at about five or six down the list but it's definitely bumped up now so oh, I will definitely oh. let you know when I start it sounds fantastic I take that it, it is a, it is a little bit scary There's, there is a smidge of horror in there as oh, well I like that. so That's fine. oh perfect yeah yeah <laughs> well I hope you enjoy it because yeah no it is it is one of the funniest ones that I've I've put together which was a lot of fun to do but you do get a bit paranoid with comedy because you just yeah know you do you be do taken. yeah because <laughs> everyone's humor is not for everyone mm. else you know what I mean Correct. and yeah and like I've had people like I've had some reviews you know for most reviews for making March have been you know hilarious they got the humor they got like it's a, it can be a bit crass and it's a bit dirty yeah, at times it. but it's it's funny you know yeah. and I've had other people you know some one-star reviews going this book was disgusting oh. I, I can't believe someone would write oh, this and I want yes, oh, well, oh, no. you know you obviously don't get the humor yeah. <laughs> move along yeah, and I think that's what it is. It's 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 not for everybody. No. no. You know what? It made me laugh. So Yeah, and look, I, I think I think one you'd probably agree, one bit of advice I would give to anyone who's trying to write a book or puts their work out there, um, it's brave. You know, if you get your work out there, good on you. Yes. And absolutely. there will always be someone who likes your book and it's not going to be for everybody. So don't let it get you down if someone didn't like your book. It's not for everybody. Would you agree? Absolutely. Oh yeah. yes, I've I've had some some reviews very similar, and you know what? Yep, I the ones that have loved it, awesome. I am so pleased that I am writing what they enjoy, and I'm just sticking with that. <laughs> That's right. I always say, if I've made someone spit their coffee out mm, on their yes. morning commute, I've done my job. <laughs> yeah, from laughing. Yes, <laughs> and I tell you what, don't do that to me on the train because it is very embarrassing. <laughs> So, so I, Laurie, I think I did let out a snort at one oh, point. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm a yeah. snorter too. Oh, my God. So funny. Anyway. <laughs> so the coffee will come out your nose, right? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Classy. Thanks. Thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> so so let's get serious for, just for yes. a moment. Yes. So talking yeah. about advice, um, mm. 
what advice would you give someone who's looking at writing sci-fi or fantasy? What What's the best advice you could give them or the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, well, the best advice I've seen, which has been written in many, many forms by many different writers is, is just get it finished yep. um, and enjoy it because the whole writing process, it's exhausting and it's, mm. you and read lonely, it. isn't it? It can be yes, lonely as well. absolutely. And you read it over and over and over over yeah you get so you want to enjoy your own story you want to burn it by the end of it don't you oh god you do but you've got to enjoy your book it's you know if you've enjoyed writing it for whatever reason you might have whatever purpose you might have in in producing it in the first place if you like your just write what you like write what you enjoy Mm mm-hmm I think is is the biggest because you do read it so many times you don't want to be getting to the 30th time that you're looking at something like I'm actually rereading the butterfly stone right now because I'm working on book four yep with the edit and I I honestly I I read it sometimes and think did I write that (laughs) yeah it's true especially when it's been a while since you've written the book you go oh I don't remember that yeah, so I think you've got to you've got to enjoy it because you will be reading it. <laughs> Particularly if you write a series, you will be reading it over and over and over again. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so don't, we're not going to go mm. any more into your books because let's get on to. Th- thank you so much for going through oh. all of your books because I really wanted to showcase your work as well, even though you had this fantastic I, interview with Natalie. I always forget to talk about myself. <laughs> So thank yeah. you. I appreciate the opportunity to actually talk about my books for a change. I've got your back, sister. Don't you worry about it. I've got your back. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, look, without giving too much away, tell me a little bit about your um, your chat with Natalie because it sounds like you guys had so much fun. Wow. I, I At one point I thought I could talk forever with you, Natalie, because it was she's absolutely marvellous. She's so generous with her time and yep. we just we – just, got on various tracks and we just kept going and I thought I just don't yep. want to stop talking. Yep. So, you went down so many rabbit holes it was fantastic. Oh my goodness I, yes I hope people don't get too <laughs> don't, don't uh, end up bouncing around too much and get seasick um, but her we did talk about world building and yep. she she's got some amazing adult fantasy that involves a lot of mythology which was absolutely amazing to explore with her mm. and, and her her works she's got so many now and very much like me uh, she first published in in 2019 and and I was 2018 so it's yeah, yeah. it was really good to talk to a writer who's been writing so so oh, what's the word I'm looking for um just just along the same time frames and mm. and because you both seem to have quite a lot in common actually when you were yeah, chatting so yeah so I, it was just wonderful having a chat with her and I, I really hope your listeners enjoy enjoy the chat and and get to learn a lot about Natalie and and her books because wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> and look so at and, you know and when um because obviously she's published with um tea with coffee media yes. who is one of one of our partners here at the podcast yeah um and when, you know, when they were looking, you know, to get her onto a podcast, I said, absolutely. And then when I read, read her work, I thought, yes, I'd love this to be a takeover. And straight away, you popped into my head. Oh, and I God. thought, I think Laurie is the person to do this. And I approached you and thank God you said yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. And and I uh, it was absolutely wonderful. And yeah, remaking The Sorceress, I think is that that's that's her one with T 
Tea with Coffee Media. So Yes, I think that's her most recent release, isn't it? Yes, yes. exactly. So there was certainly a lot of fun talking about and and just the way that she's world built in her books was was fascinating because she does take a different a different tack to, to myself so it was great just hearing about the different ways that we all do that yeah I guess it's interesting to talk to a, an author who writes mm. the same genre or a similar mm. um you know I, I guess a sim- similar genre or your books are very similar but your whole process is completely different yeah Yep. And then yet while we were talking, we write in a similar way. We both handwrite and and it was just all these similarities kept popping up. It was fabulous. Yeah. I'm old school too. Everything goes on pen and paper before it makes it to the computer. Same. And with the train, it can be quite messy. Yep. And it is often very hard to read back. Look, I we were talking, you know, um, before we recorded and, I, you know, I drive to work and where I work to catch public transport would take me like two and a half hours where Oof. I can drive in one hour. Yeah, and I like sometimes that. I wished I could, you know, sit on a bus or a train and actually write. If it wasn't for my 80s music mm. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> podcasts like the Australian Book Lovers, I think I'd go insane. So. No. Look, I, I, I wish I could just do. sit on a train and write, but yeah, that's not the case, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh well, it's it's certainly for me, it's enforced writing time. Which, okay, to be fair, I do a lot of reading as well because I procrastinate like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, but... don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> what What's the um? What's that meme that I saw on Facebook? Um, what do you call a group of writers? A procrastination? Yes. Yeah. So With true, a lot isn't of it? Staring out of the window. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> putting on some laundry, starting dinner, yeah. throwing the ball for the dog, anything apart from a, actually getting the story written. Get a lot of housework done <laughs> as a writer. A lot of housework done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, look, I, your, your talk, you know, your chat with um, Natalie was so fantastic, so I don't want to give anything away. Mm. Um, but one thing I could definitely relate to that you guys spoke about was getting to a certain point in the draft and then getting completely stuck Yes, because you're a pantser. Yeah. So I can I can relate to that. And when you guys were talking about that, that gave me a real, real laugh. I thought that was quite funny. So I think a lot of people could relate to that. Well, I hope so. I certainly hope that we get people take taking away world building and and <laughs> when you get stuck, what to do or what not to do, probably what not to do. Yeah, look, I, I would be no help if someone said, How do I write a fantasy book? This is why I have you and Natalie to well, tell our listeners how we go about it. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so um so Laurie, where can people find you online if they're interested in your work? Okay, so I'm I have a blog which is at solo the first at dot wordpress dot com. Um I'm also on Twitter at Laurie dot uh, Laurie not Laurie, I should say. Uh or I'll I'll have got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe spell it out. <laughs> yeah, I might have to. So it's Laurie dot Laurie not Laurie. I don't know why I keep saying dot. So it's L A U R I E N O T for not Laurie L O R I because I'm not a Laurie. I am a Laurie. Yes, I- I've been saying in my head. Now, when you record, it's Laurie, not yes, Laurie. Well, don't say Laurie. She'll get upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say to people, I'm not a truck. I'm not a truck. I'm not a Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> or Laurie's Laurie can be short for Lawrence, can't it too? Well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So, and no, Laurie's not short for anything. Yep. Laurie is your name. Yep. Wonderful. Something else. 
So sorry, yes, I've interrupted yes. you. So you got no, to no, Twitter. That's right. So yeah, so yes, that you? was Twitter. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on. I've got links pretty much to everything from everywhere. Um, so you can definitely find me. But all my prompt fiction is all available on my blog. So I'd head there first, and then you can link to anything from that. Um, and yeah, Tumblr. Uh, okay. What else? I don't know. There's, there's, there's social media everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to Twitter, you wouldn't know me, would you, if you didn't get on Twitter? I'm on Twitter all the time. I know. I well, live on no, there. It's great. We, we, we both live on there because we're procrastinating and not right. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And if you are based in Melbourne or, or if you happen to visit Melbourne or visit um, Victoria, Australia, um, I do have my print books in Dimmick's Knox City, which is my one of my local uh, bookstores and James and the team there have been wonderful. They're so supportive of, of Australian writers and, and they've let me take photos of my books up on the bookshelves because they've got them in there. So I definitely recommend everyone and anyone go and visit them. And they've, they've, there's been a brand new store. They've got, they've had a big refurbishment. It looks amazing. So oh, cool. go, go and visit if you're in Victoria. Awesome. It must be it must be such a good feeling to see you you know your book on the shelf in a bookshop like that. It is pretty amazing. And yeah. then I get photos from friends. They're like, guess what I found? <laughs> oh, that's the best, isn't it? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Have you ever, you know, I think I've always said the one of the best things would be just to, you know, hop on a bus or a train and see someone reading your book. Yes. Oh, I've yet to see that. That's that's what I'm hoping for at some point. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> that awesome, would be, wouldn't it? That would be pretty good. I'd be very hard pressed not to say anything. I'd be sitting there giggling away in the corner. <laughs> it's like <laughs> there it is. It's over there. Yeah. It'd be so much. hard not to go. You're reading my book. I'm the yes. author. Yeah, I know. Well, I've thought about that in 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 the bookstore when I've wandered around. I'm like, go on, go on. They're asking for recommendations. Go over there. Just just. Go bit further, bit further. <laughs> yeah, you're almost tempted to, um, you know, I'm joking, obviously, but yeah. you know, take it off the shelf, slap them across the head, and go here. This is the one you need to read. This you should try this, particularly when I hear, you know, grandmas. Oh, what can I get for my my granddaughter? Well, <laughs> I may say, I suggest. Up in the <laughs> Remember, the price is right. You just stand there with the hands, and yes. may I suggest this book here? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> now, listen, I, I could talk to you all night, but we I think we need to move on to your interview with Natalie. Yes. But, Laurie, is there anything else you'd like to say before we go to your wonderful interview with Natalie Bartley? I think we've I think we've said a lot. <laughs> I, I, could, I could talk for hours as well and I don't yes, I know. drive everyone completely balmy, but I, please, anytime you, you need a guest host, uh, I would be – very available and happy to have a chat. Oh, fantastic. Look, honestly, like you were the perfect person, you know, to interview um, Natalie. So I was so thrilled when you said yes. And thank you so much for being a part of the podcast, my friend. I really, really appreciate it. No problems. And thank you again. Awesome. All right, everyone. So let's go to Laurie's chat with Natalie. Well, 
Thank you to the wonderful Hayley Walsh for letting me take over the Right Words podcast for today. My name is Laurie Bell and I'm a writer of science fiction and fantasy for both children and adults. I have a fabulous series called The Stones of Power out via Wyvern's Peak Publishing, which is and the first three books of which are available on online and you can get those anywhere. Uh, the Butterfly Stone, The Tiger's Eye and The Crow's Heart. And it's a YA fantasy about Tracy Masters and her adventures searching for a mag magical stone necklaces. I'm also a science fiction writer and you can find out more about me on my website, solo the first or one word, dot wordpress.com. Now, enough about me. I'm honoured to be chatting with the amazing Natalie Bartley today about her writing and the world building she employs to bring her amazing books to life. So let me tell you a little bit about Natalie. She is a Canadian adult fantasy author and her first book, Love and Pain in Zion, was published in 2019. She's poly, she is a polytheistic witch, I hope I'm saying that right, and her most recently published story is called Remaking the Sorceress, Titan of Light, book one, published by Tea with Coffee Media, which is a modern take on the Medea myth, which sounds absolutely fabulous to me and I can't wait to hear more about it. So welcome, Natalie, to the Right Words podcast. Thank you for having me. So let's start off with the most fascinating part of your bio, and I'm sure many listeners caught this too and are dying to know more, polytheistic mm -hmm. witch. Please tell me what this means. Um, so for me, it really just means that I don't really uh, follow just one god, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, my my patron personally is Poseidon, um, although Amphitrite, his wife, has made her presence known in my life uh, the last few years. Mm -hmm. um, but I do also work with other deities. Um, I'm not monotheistic in that way when I, when I work, uh, when I practice. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I do ascribe to a few uh, pantheons, a few deities have have uh, have worked with me over the last 20, 25 years. So it's uh, kind of where that plays in. Wonderful. And so this heavily influences your writing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm a, a massive lover of mythology, and I have been for many many years so finding those niche mythologies that people don't necessarily know about or the odder takes on on certain stories uh, reading those has always been really fun for me and yeah it bleeds through all the time when I write <laughs> that's fantastic and I, I certainly want to talk some more about that a little bit later um mm -hmm. so I know from your bio and from your website and previous interviews that you started writing around seven and and I certainly was very similar around grade two is when my at least I think my writing took off <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what sort of things were you writing at that age um yeah so the first book I ever wrote was called Rain 
Oh, yes. Uh, don't really know why. <laughs> I don't remember much rain going on in the eight, <laughs> ten pages that it is. But, you know, it's it was a grade two project. It was a little picture book. Oh, they bound it at the school and we, you know, created our <clears throat> cover pages and stuff like that. So I guess I could call that my first published Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's me and my family and we're out camping in the woods and I think it's just raining throughout the course of it. <laughs> and then I go off and get firewood or my dad goes off to get firewood and then one of us is attacked by a werewolf <sighs> and then I get on a boat. And so <laughs> oh, my dad's the one that gets attacked by a werewolf because he oh. dies. Oh, no. And then... <laughs> And then I get on a boat in an overflowing river that has a thousand windows, the boat, not the river, and it goes off a little waterfall and then I die. Oh, wow. So that's the end of my, that's the end of my like 10, eight, 10 page little grade two project. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. So (laughs) fantasy has always been a uh, strong focus for you. Yeah, yeah. My dad raised me on uh, on high fantasy. Read The Hobbit to me as a kid, and oh, and I I grew up reading Tolkien and and Eddings. And... Yeah, so definite definite high fantasy impulses oh, when it comes to my writing, even though I don't match them in their scope <laughs> at all. <laughs> so so obviously this has influenced your later writing. Um, yes. When did you? decide to really put in the effort to to get to get that end product to to become a published author I mean I kind of started writing mostly as a hobby about 15 15 years ago mm-hmm. 18 years ago when I started college the first time through um, just as an outlet for creativity because my I'd been writing poems through high school had a couple of them published in like high school books and poetry.com and stuff like that that was all well and good but that kind of that well kind of dried up Mm -hmm. when I got to college I think it was just because I was busy all the time so I focused the creativity into stories and they're unfinished like (laughs) I have three or four manuscripts that I started in like 2006 2007 that I have not finished really um yeah, but it wasn't until when I was at Durham College in 2018, 2019, or 2019, 2020 kind of thing mm-hmm. um, that I was writing in class <laughs> and <laughs> publishing them, publishing the chapters up on Wattpad. I mean, they were rough. They were not edited very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of it was taking the chapters from the manuscripts that I had written years ago and just throwing them up to see if there was any take any hits. Mm-hmm. And my friend Steven started reading Love and Pain in Zion. And uh, he told me that I had to publish it. Oh. Like I had to publish it. Find That's a way terrific feedback. To publish it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to make any money off of this. It's crap. Nobody reads it except for you. <laughs> and he's like, I don't care. You need to publish this. So I'm like, okay. That's wonderful I, feedback. That's, that's the sort of feedback on, everyone wants to hear. <laughs> right? So I threw it up on KDP and, and uh, he bought a copy and my grandmother has a copy. She's actually the first person to ask me for a copy even before I told Steve that I was publishing it. Aww. 
and uh yeah so uh, that was the start of that and then uh I just kept kind of writing I mean I, I had already always been writing but it was kind of like a damn I ended up finishing like two more books over the course of like five months and I threw them up on on Amazon one of them is my 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 baby apotheosis which I I love it's my one of my favorites um and then the other one's just a little short uh the iridescent kitchen self which is a free reader magnet when you sign up to my newsletter great so that was like the first five six months of after love and pain and zion came out so and I guess I'm now hooked Excellent. No, well, that's that's fantastic to hear. And you've got so many, so many great uh, books that are up on your your website that I've been going through, and and we'll tell everyone how to find you a bit later on. But um, mm-hmm. let's just talk a bit about love and pain in Zion, then. So I just want to uh, yep. read out a bit of a blurb that I've got here, okay. and then we can chat about it. So. After getting out of an abusive relationship, Julie Carter seeks shelter in a house that was not as it seems. While she builds herself a home and grows to love one of the inhabitants there, disaster strikes and Julie's life is thrown into even more chaos. Will the other elementals with her get the training they need before the final battle or will their secret be out to the world before they can save it? This sounds Absolutely awesome. And I've Thank already you. got it on my Kindle waiting to be read. Oh. So. <laughs> okay, I, got, I have to warn you because I, I, I haven't updated updated my, re- my my trigger warnings and content warnings mm-hmm. in a while. It starts off with a very, very literally steamy scene. It is a threesome Woo-hoo. in a sauna. Okay? <laughs> so I, I, I have to warn you, it, it's it's... It's going to boil some, bit saucy? some parts of you. <laughs> a little bit saucy. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so so tell me with this one. So how did you get the idea? The first chapter was actually supposed to be just a standalone story. It was just supposed to be a little one-off. I threw a Wattpad mm-hmm. and then like years and years and years ago, long before, <clears throat> sorry, long before Stephen and, and any of you know knowing my fiance and mm-hmm. and all of that any before any of that I'd been getting or yeah it was on just on Wattpad but I'd be getting a lot of comments on this is really really good and then when I got to I, re- I rewrote the chapter I added some more and at the end of it I added the um the address the business card address little bit kind of thing which I have a copy of it in front of of the book in front of me so it's more or less at the end of the chapter uh Julie leaves the sauna the the gym because they're at she's at a gym leaves the sauna uh gets this business card from the other two saying you know if you you ever want more fun let us know we'll be here (laughs) and I I had an original sequel one-off planned and then when I got to rewriting it and then adding a little bit at the end of the chapter and Julie going outside and meeting up with her then now abusive boyfriend Mm -hmm. Um, who had never shown any signs of it beforehand, and then all, all of a sudden it's bam. Uh, the rest of the book just kind of fell into place, and the whole 
elementals thing kind of was spontaneous because okay. I, I I didn't know how I was going to single these specific people out but I knew they had something to do yep in the plot of the story and then all of a sudden it's like oh magic because I don't write any books that don't have magic and <laughs> I I absolutely understand that. And that's actually really fascinating as to how the book started. My first book, The Butterfly Stone, exactly the same thing. I wrote a short piece based on a prompt with with about Mm -hmm. 800 to 1,000 words. And it's now chapter nine in the in the wow. stones. So it developed from a short piece. So I think that's that's fascinating that that journey has also occurred in, uh, along those lines for yourself with just expanding mm. on a general short piece that's been taken yeah. really well. Yeah. So how, it, how long it, did it take altogether to write? Oh. I want to say like eight or nine or 10 years Wow! because I, I wrote like the one chapter mm-hmm. and then there was a couple years in between. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote like chapters two to 10 kind of thing. And I went on this burst of, of writing with it and then I got stuck. Oh, no, I chapters, totally understand. like two to seven, <laughs> I would say, because it was the last three or four chapters and then the epilogue mm-hmm. that flew once I got into school and started writing again and Stephen started kind of like commenting on, on like my stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So over the course of the probably decade, it, it froze. So I like one chapter and then a few chapters and then and years in between. So. Wow. I, I, yeah. I absolutely understand that too. I tend to, to get about. <laughs> I think most writers do. Yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Particularly, and, and we'll mention plotters and pantsers a little bit later, but oh, yeah. I, I, I'm a bit of a pantser as well. I, I understand. So are you. And yes. I find I hit the same barrier about, about 20,000 words in. So about 10 chapters, 10, 15 mm-hmm. chapters. And then I hit a wall and it can be six months or so between faffing about doing other things yeah. <laughs> before I can kick myself in the butt and, and keep working. So that's that's absolutely fascinating that, that you've got a similar <laughs> similar story. <Issue>? Point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not well, yeah, it's not so much a word count like I get to ten thousand or fifteen thousand or twenty thousand and I stall. Yeah. It's like I get to a crucial point Mm -hmm. and then I stall. It doesn't matter how long it is into the book. (laughs) I get to that one point. Do you think think it's because you don't have that next step plotted out perhaps or possibly? I mean, I noticed that with RTS remaking the sorceress and I thankfully had each of the chapters titled. So I had (sighs) signposts, but I didn't really plot the book out other than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed um, with my newer writing that if I don't kind of have those signposts, I'll kind of turn into a planter, mm-hmm. um, that my writing stalls out more frequently. Mm-hmm. So kind of looking at back at it retrospectively, it almost does look like because I didn't have any signposts up and I was running completely by the seat of my pants mm-hmm. that 
maybe why I took so long to uh, to write. And I've kind of gone back and some of the other manuscripts that I have um, that I'm kind of trying to get back into writing because oh, I yes. love the stories and I love the worlds that I've created with them, even though they're not very long. And most of them are about the same length as Remaking the Sorceress or Apotheosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of trying to plot out where the last few chapters are going to be. So I have an idea of how much I have left to write. Um, one of them called The Crossing. I know I've only got maybe five chapters left. Like I'm right before the climax. <laughs> Ten chapters. Most. Yep. I'm right there. I am so close. I just can't sit down and write mm-hmm. it because I haven't. I think it's because I haven't actually plotted out what I want, like signpost wise. Yeah. So, yes, I've, I've kind of turned into a bit of a plotter. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. All the chapters are written by the seat of my pants, though. And I so. wonder if that comes via experience as well with once you get the first couple finished. Yeah. Sort of know what will kick your pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've noticed that too. And and working with the in the Pantheon and in the Crescent webzines, mm-hmm. um, I try and plot out because I'm either connecting with other writers and their characters, or you know, I have a story I want to tell and I want to plot out roughly how many posts it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of really um, affected my pantsing, so to speak, that's, which is fine yeah. because. You know, you, you got to find what works for you. And, and if this little signpost trick works for me yep. and it has so far, um, then, you know, I just need to get it, get started with kicking my ass and moving <laughs> forward again. I, I think that's really good advice for, for anyone wanting to get into writing too, in the sense that you, you do need to find what works for you. Um, yeah. I, I very much write by hand. That That works for me with my first draft. Um, I love and, writing by hand. Oh, isn't it great? It just it is for me. It flows better. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you find the pen or the it's, pencil, you know, because I was pencil for years. I hated writing in pen, but I found these beautiful beak gelosity pens, oh, and oh nice. my god, it yes. writes like heroin. Like yes, it's so I have smooth. I have the special pen oh, as well. Absolutely, yes, <laughs> yes it's on and every Christmas list. My... <laughs> yes, and I use it for my signings and everything. Nice. It is, it's, 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 it's crack. It oh, really is. Fantastic. I, I, that just the glides across the paper. Yes, yes. Oh. I find I have an, I have a different pen for editing. I have a oh, sharper, yes. a sharper pen that is is um like a, a sharper point on it. Whereas mm-hmm. my writing pen, which I have a, a papermate blue that I love, and everyone Ooh. knows that that's my pen, and they have to buy it for me every time they see one. <laughs> it's, it's kind of my rule. I have I have a cupboard of them it's fantastic mm-hmm. but that the my writing pen flows faster it's yeah. it, it the ink flows faster and it tends to be a lot yeah. messier yeah that, because it's yeah like yeah. mine's like a nice liquid nice right so it's not like your general pens now like your your regular kind of standard cheap pens mm-hmm. that are just it it's it it's just ink yeah right it, it's like printer ink right it's just yes. done Right. You can't, you can't, I can't put my finger down on, on this pen right away. I have to wait 10 seconds before, you know, it can yep. touch something. So it can dry and that's yet. dependent on the paper, <laughs> right? If there's any sort of gloss to the paper, I'm yep. toast. And do you have a special <laughs> notebook as well? Um, that you like yes to write in? No. 
I have a couple, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I love notebooks. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a notebook Collect hoarder, up. but I don't yes. want to, yes, but I don't want to write in them. Yes. They're just too pretty. Right. Yeah. Or like people give me a notebook. I have a beautiful one here. That was a gift. Yep. And it's, it says today I'm a mermaid tomorrow. I'll be a unicorn. And it's gorgeous. Oh, oh I love that. Right? And it's so inspiring, but I haven't written in it yet. <laughs> it just sits there. <laughs> being pretty inspiration <laughs> yes I yeah like it. and I just I have this like standard standard uh Walmart Hellroy <laughs> notebook sort of thing that I'm currently using to nice. jot notes down on nice so yeah I mean <laughs> I'd love to say that yes I have a notebook that I love <laughs> and I do I have plenty of notebooks that I love but I'm not using them to write my stuff in because yep. they're they're too precious they're too yeah. pretty I have to take my scribbles. Yes. <laughs> I have a drawer full of notepads. Very similar. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think all writers are a little bit strange, aren't we? But um, I think so. Yeah. And we have our quirks. There's always yes. like that one thing. Yep. I have to have my pen yes. and I have to have like any kind of notebook. Yeah. It doesn't, notebook on your phone doesn't count. <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly right. I might jot down an idea if I've had an idea yeah. and I'm on the train or something. I'll jot it down in my exactly. phone. Exactly. But I still exactly. But then, head. yeah. And then you have to, you, you expand on it. Yes. In the notebook. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. And a bit like what you were saying with your signposting, I use post-it notes. Very similar where I'll, I'll break um, down a, a chapter. It might just be a line. Mm. But I'll have several post-it notes that I can move around if I need to or change. Okay, or... yeah. So that's that's how I – and the, my <clears throat> notebook's covered in post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like highlighters. Oh, nice. Yeah, or if, if I can get them and they're not too expensive, mm-hmm. multicolored pens. Oh, excellent. Or markers. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that. That's, that's, my, that's my happy place. Oh. Just brilliant, and with 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 the world building. So so let's talk about that now that we're we're mm-hmm. on to writing. With, yeah, with the world building for um love and pain in Zion. What what did you start with? Well, like as I said, I started with the first chapter. Yeah. Um, I when I when I wrote the address in the first chapter, mm-hmm. and I was like Zion, like it's Greek. It's such a Greek word. Yes. And, and, and then I decided from that that my main character was going to have Greek parents, Greek godparents, because they're all half-bloods. And then I had this valley in my head, mm-hmm. this really pretty valley in between mountains, like the Swiss Alps, pristine kind of thing. Lovely. And, and, and that was it. That that was my world. Okay. And 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 the house came from that nice big chalet mansion kind of thing nestled in the mountains. The characters they just kind of came like voices intruding in my head that I couldn't <laughs> get rid of, um, and and wouldn't let me sleep until I wrote them down. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when they go quiet, and then I can't write anymore. <laughs> yes, I sound like a crazy person. <laughs> Not at all. I think I think um, all writers have a voice in their head somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I honestly can't say that I intentionally 
world built mm-hmm. really in any of my stories um even in remaking the sorceress um the world is the world the like the the geography of the world yes mm-hmm. but because it's based on our current mythologies mm-hmm. it, it it i didn't need to build really on a um and i i, I always kind of take that when i when i write um <clears throat> i haven't had to create new worlds what about yes. the fantastical elements? So the, the the magic that you mentioned appears in all of your books, and of course with the, the fantasy element with with the elements, yes. <laughs> so the elementals. Yeah. So what about the the? How did you go about creating the the rules around your elementals? So the rules around my elementals were there's eight of them. Mm-hmm. There's four men, four women one for each element each of those people those eight people had at least technically all of well seven of them spoilers <laughs> julie is not a half-blood mm. <laughs> book's been out book's been out for three years there's no such thing as spoilers now <laughs> um the thought was that each of them throughout you know the generations because this is this is a generational thing um they're born around the world and if it's the destined time then they'll get together um and either you know create beautiful things or destroy the world um and each of them would have one godly parent so to speak and that parent wouldn't necessarily like I love my Greek mythology and I'm fairly competent in Greek mythology, mm-hmm. but I wanted to expand a bit with this. So not all of the eight of them have Greek gods for parents. Mm. So um, we have the fire woman is a daughter of Pele, I believe, mm-hmm. um, who is the Hawaiian volcano goddess. Yep. Um, the air male is a son of Quetzalcoatl. So the Aztec air Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I wanted to bring to light some of the lesser, not the lesser, they're not, they're not Not as well known. Yeah, especially in Western culture, Mm. right? So I could go down to Mexico or, you know, uh, Southern U.S. kind of thing and speak with the natives down there and they would know Quetzalcoatl. Yeah. Um, or go to Hawaii and they would know of Pele. Yeah. But in our Western culture, their stories aren't so known. They themselves aren't so known. So I kind of enjoyed doing research on them to see what their powers were, what they could pass on to children, so to speak. Wonderful. Um, so that was most of the building that mm-hmm. I did <laughs> was a little bit of research onto how are these powers going to work? So, or I have these powers in mind. I need to find a god that fits them. <laughs> that was the other thing. Yeah, I think I think I had. Um, Oh God! I can't even remember the names. I'm so bad. <laughs> um, 
I had a couple of them where I'm like, I want these powers. I want these powers because they're going to serve later in the story. I don't know how, but they will. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, and now I need to find someone that matches and I need to find (laughs) someone that's not in Greek mythology because how standard of me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How pedestrian of me. Oh, love love a bit of research for when you're searching for something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Had to do a lot of that in in Apotheosis and in remaking the Sorceress. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, (laughs) I love research and I love researching mythology. It is fascinating. Absolutely. Jumping to Greek mythology then. So let's let's talk about your most recent novels. So Remaking the Sorceress, Titan of the Light. I love that title. So how did you come up with the idea for this? Well, actually, let me read a little bit about about the story so that we can tell all of our readers. So give them a Mm -hmm. bit of an insight. So we have Medea, a woman spurned by the one she loved and cursed by Aphrodite to sacrifice her own children in her jealous anger, is one of the most infamous female characters in Greek tragedy. So you've written an update of the classic myth following a once mighty sorceress who finds herself helpless. So tell me more about that. So I used to write for the Legends of the Veil blog. Um, so was a wonderful little project that a bunch of us put together and we took characters from mythology and, and history mm-hmm. and whatnot and we made them our own and we wrote them mm-hmm. and we wrote them in modern times and I wrote Medea and I had this idea of what would happen if this 3,500, 4,000 years old. Who knows how old she actually is because who knows how old the myth actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, I did actually kind of clock it at one point in time for while I was writing uh, Remaking the Sorceress mm-hmm. that if you go by general Greek counting in the before common era, her myth is about 2,000 years old. Before. Before common before. era. Yeah. So about 4,000, just because of, of uh, various archaeological studies and historical studies and the source material, the oral material kind of thing, all of that. Just And then I, you know, roughed it up a bit and I was like, let's make it a nice round 4,000. Why not? <laughs> Love it. Why not? Makes it easier. Yeah. And if people want to argue with me, I'll be like, it's fantasy. Exactly. And that's the joy of myth, mythology. There is no right or wrong in regard to dates or powers. Exactly. Exactly. So I I had this idea and it was going to be her next arc in the, in the blog, but um, I ended up leaving the project. And I don't know if it was, you know, fortuitous or not, but I'm going to say that it was because it allowed me now the freedom to write whatever the hell I wanted and not be tied down by (laughs) other authors or their Mm storylines or the canon that we had created for them. So what would happen if this supreme sorceress Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word one of the most feared characters in in greek mythology and in uh you know the whole hell hath no fury like a woman scorned traces Mm -hmm. straight back to her story um legitimately (laughs) what would happen if this person managed to survive to the modern era 
with all her powers and, and all of that and, mm-hmm. you know, still being a villain off and on and all yep. of that great stuff because, you know, <laughs> it's hard to change spots. Mm-hmm. What would happen if she lost her powers? If she went mortal, what would happen? What would she have to do to gain those powers back? And in contrast, did she want her powers back? See, I love that. Because question. she could live she could she could live out a normal human lifespan now Mm -hmm. she could grow old and die she's no longer a titan um because mythologically she is even though none of her stories call her one Mm -hmm. uh they're they they you know they say she's the granddaughter of helios she's the you know the great granddaughter of Hyperion, which makes her a massive force. Her aunt is Circe and Pacify, who are, you know, uh, a witch mm-hmm. and the mother of the Minotaur, who has magic in her own. Um, her, like, her blood is of the sun and sea. Her parents are both Oceanid and Sun God type of thing Mm -hmm. so she she is a she is a titan she is a power she is she is she deserved more respect um and fear yes she's also very very angry (laughs) she is very angry she has every right to be angry yes very right every right to be angry the way that she was treated Mm -hmm. um and a lot of a lot of the the stuff after in her mythology is of her own doing right Certain things, though, we could possibly excuse in the modern times mm-hmm. um, if they were to happen now, same situations and everything. Um, but, you know, after her cursing came apart and she realized what she had done, she still didn't quite change her ways. So did yeah. she want her powers back and go back to living that way? Was it her powers that cursed her or made her and kept her evil? Um, so many fabulous questions right so then you know my big thing was how do I make this challenging for her because Mm. she could just go back to Jason or you know find a way to go back to Jason and be like yes I made him semi-immortal and that was another thing that Medea did (laughs) (laughs) um you know these myths I can play with because they ended 2000 to 3000 you know 2500 yep. years ago and they haven't really been updated because they haven't needed to be updated mm-hmm. um so yeah and I, I really liked the idea that she needed to right her wrongs mm-hmm. not against everybody but the serious ones the ones that would have done damage to her soul and landed her that place in tartarus so not just the infanticide um, or, you know, murdering of her brother in cold mm-hmm. blood, which were her first two real crimes. You know, mm-hmm. but who did she wrong in those intervening 3,000 years? Mm. Right? Mm. Um, I, I really wanted to take her through her paces in a way that she would never have experienced with her magic. Um, and I'm, I'm really hoping I brought it, <laughs> brought it across because yes, I cried writing this book so really? many times, so many times. Um, the whole scene with Hakate, mm-hmm. um, right from when they land in Turkey to uh, 
right before they leave and head back to Greece, um, when Hakate is bandaging up Medea's back, the whole thing, the flogging scene killed me. I bawled like a baby. And I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> like, because she would never have experienced it as a, as a Titan. Because she could have just, you know, either numbed the pain or dispelled the, the, the magic. Like, she would have figured some, some way out of it, mm-hmm. right? But there, yeah, there are things that she would never have experienced. She would never have, have been able to do or take as a Titan. And I, I enjoyed writing them, but it hurt <laughs> me writing them at the same time. Is that what drew um, you to choose Medea as a character to write about? No. So, like, originally when I started writing for the blog, um, for Legends of the Veil, sorry, mm-hmm. um, I wanted someone I was familiar with mythologically. Okay. Familiar enough that I didn't have to do extensive research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I didn't want to. <laughs> I love it. If I didn't want to. Yeah. Right. So I like I, I bookmarked a bunch of websites that had Medea myths and, and the Jason story because, you know, Jason and the Argonauts was big yep. for a while, especially after the 1963 movie came out. Yes. We all love the claymation <laughs> <laughs> and the stop motion um, of, of Jason and the Argonauts and of Clash of the, Tit- Clash of the Titans back in the day. Um, but they haven't really done anything with the Jason myth. Right, we get other mythologies, and they've yep. been brought forward. Yeah, yeah, you know, we've had Troy, we've had bits of the Odyssey, we've had Hercules, um, Hercules, dozens yeah. of Hercules movies. Right, yep. we've had other mythology stories. There's been a couple of Minotaur ones, um, but until Percy Jackson, mm-hmm. which I love, <laughs> I'm a massive good. PJO fan. <laughs> as a PGO fan um and the BBC's Atlanta series yes she actually got time but they didn't do her justice yes <laughs> oh I'm and Amy Manson did such a good job playing her I wish they had more Medea because she is integral mm-hmm. to Jason yeah right and Jason was yep. the main character so I really really wanted someone like yeah yeah. I had there there was source material, but hadn't really had a chance to evolve into the modern times. Yeah. So uh she was and I love her myth. I really mm. do. It's yep. fun. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean it was horrible. Yep. What she does to her children. It really is. Mm. Um but it's so much fun. Because the Argonaut, the Argonautica is, yeah. is, is a great, great um, odyssey, for lack of a better word. It's a great story. Um, but yeah, it's it's tragic, but it's comedic yep. and it's romantic. It's like it, it, it hits, if you take her story from all of, the, all of the source material between the Argonautica, the Medea play, the various stories of the Golden Fleece, and you put mm-hmm. it all together... It touches every single aspect that the Greeks valued in their plays. Yep. And in their stories. And I found that intriguing. And I wanted to bring her to life in a way that I felt nobody else had. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then I found, you know, after I started writing for the blog, then I found the book 
Cersei <laughs> and then Ariadne came out and then all these wonderful books about the women of uh, of ancient Greece are coming out and I'm like I don't know if I started a trend or not but this is great <laughs> I don't think I did because they're bestsellers and, and yeah. I'm still here <laughs> with my wonderful small press that I love <laughs> that's fantastic how long did this one take you to write um from start to finish, not including the time I spent um, with Legends of the Veil, because that, apart from some very, very basic backstory mm-hmm. and the Kide Monos character, the dragon, the Colkian dragon, um, who I brought from Legends of the Veil, my own creation. Cool. Uh, so I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from the time I started chapter one, until I finished it was probably a little over a year okay yeah a year and a half maybe if I timed it out properly mm-hmm. yeah, probably about a year and a half which is one of the fastest books of that length that I've yeah ever absolutely and um <laughs> so if you if you had that that pause moment like we were talking about before that that delay what, mm-hmm. what drove you to finish this one I did. I did have that that pause moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I had that pause moment <laughs> a couple of times, actually. <laughs> I had one right before Under the Forge, so right mm-hmm. before they go and meet Hephaestus. And then uh, I got through that, and then all of the turkey bent, mm-hmm. so all of the Hakate stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I had to take a break. <laughs> That's reasonable. <laughs> I think I, I think I stopped writing for about four months after that because wow. I was so shell shocked of what mm-hmm. I had done. <laughs> <laughs> the only place you could get away with it is in fiction and writing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I I knew exactly where I wanted to go with it. I knew she had to make it into into the underworld. She had to be get to Tartarus. But everything else in that just you, kind of like surprised me with what mm-hmm. I did especially with like Hyperion ending up in front of the gates of of Hades I'm like why are you here mm. <laughs> okay be here <laughs> uh, um but the last of it the uh when she when the three of them are on their way to Greece back to Greece um that flew I probably finished that in two months and I think oh. it was because the last few chapters were ringing in my head mm-hmm. and I had already written what was originally the epilogue but it's the last half of the last chapter so the the uh, meet up with Kernanos um I had already written that I had written that almost at the beginning oh, of wow. when I started writing the book so you knew where yeah. it was going I knew it was ending there. <laughs> I didn't know where I was going before that. <laughs> I love and the I, idea I of your characters to... taking you to places. So you had to then find oh, yeah. out why they were there. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. I'm like, how are they getting here? I'm, I'm, I am nowhere near there, but I know I have to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm like, is this going to end up as like chapter one of the next book? I don't want to do that. I want to <laughs> leave them. I want to leave them with a good, juicy morsel of Karnanos. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of hope and brightness for the future, especially after everything I just done. 
Which is really good. And and so when it comes to themes, did you have a specific theme coming into writing this book or did that sort of develop as you were writing? Redemption. It was mm-hmm. the only thing. Everything else was secondary. Yep. Her redeeming herself, her, and that's that's why it's remaking because she literally has to remake herself yep. throughout the course of the book, both as a person, as a human being, as a woman, as a lover, mm-hmm. as a mother, even though her boys are, you know, in Elysian, mm-hmm. in, you know, on the Isle of the Blessed kind of thing she has to remake herself into a worthy mother of them before she can earn their forgiveness before they're allowed to say that they forgive her they know what what happened they know why it happened Mm -hmm. they forgive her but they can't say it they're they're blocked from telling her that they forgive her until she's proven that she has changed so and if she hadn't changed she'd be back in tartarus she'd be staying in tartarus she would never have gotten out yeah. So redemption was the only real theme that I had going through this book. I love that. And isn't it fascinating that that our modern superhero shows and, and comics and the focus on, on superheroes really just pull from these myths and legends from the past oh, yeah. and with all the different gods. I mean, you could say mm-hmm. that the Scarlet Witch, so you could say that she's the Medea character. Here is this would, incredibly powerful yeah. sorceress mm-hmm. and it's family that drives her and also tears Absolutely. her apart. Yeah, yep, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, and her powers are so misunderstood, even yes. to herself, Yep, because yep. she wasn't raised with those powers mm-hmm. kind of thing or they've come to her late in life. So whether you're taking like the current Marvel spin on mm. the way that Scarlet Witch got her powers or you're going with the traditional, she's the daughter of Magneto and her powers were yeah. initially inherited yeah. yeah, kind of thing, right? She didn't fully grasp those yes. powers until tragedy. Yes. Right? Yeah, and exactly. Until later, until tragedy. Yeah. And then and then she has to deal with it. She has to grow or, you know, falter mm. and fail. Yep. I never made the connection. <laughs> it's so it's fascinating. Yeah, I, because I, I love all the, the you know Marvel and DC and I love all superheroes. Oh, yeah, and, and it just yeah, particularly Wanda, her her story with the children and with her powers mm-hmm. and with her development. And exactly as you were saying with, with Jason, in the past, it was always the men's story. It was the, yes. it was his story and she helped him, but you know what? She mm-hmm. had all sorts of shit going on in her life. Right. <laughs> and that's- well, and, and like, he would never have got, he would never have gotten the fleece without her because she was the one who managed to put the Colkeen dragon to sleep. Yep. And yeah. she was the one who secreted it out of the garden and out of Colchis. Yes. And, you know, and yet her the story... women didn't get a very good shake. No, no. And her story has <laughs> never really been told properly from that perspective, yeah. from her perspective. From her perspective. And that's another yeah. reason why she's so intriguing to me. Yeah, exactly. So so I find it really fascinating with with other Greek gods and, and Roman gods as well that that there's a real – it's always fascinated me with it because they are fallible. They're, they may be all powerful, yeah. but they're arrogant assholes oh yeah and they treat people Mm -hmm. terribly so what what do you think is is 
really behind that, the fact that we tell these myths and superhero stories of these great, powerful beings who fuck up. <laughs> Excuse my language. I'll, I'll find no worries, out if I'm allowed no to get away with that one. <laughs> Sorry. There Hayley. might be a couple of, couple of bleeps on my end That's too. Right. So, um, so one of the things that I, I, I really appreciated going through my classics degree uh, a few years back was realizing that it wasn't so much that the gods are perfect yes and that the greeks or the romans eh, less on the romans stick with the greeks because the romans really tried to emulate their gods Mm -hmm. the greeks didn't want to be their gods they didn't want to emulate their gods yeah it was a warning it was a do not behave this way (laughs) mortal people we can get away with it because we are immortal and we are divine Mm. you cannot because you are pathetic and small yeah and yet they don't get away (laughs) with it because they keep causing trouble for themselves and and exactly and and causing trouble for humanity yeah yeah Yeah. but that that was the real intent of the story is that of the stories is that the gods are not perfect and they're not meant to be perfect. They are meant to be a warning to humanity. This is not how you behave because if you do, this is what's going to happen. Mm. (laughs) Right. Um, Bad things chasing bad people was attributed to the Furies, the Eranias. So obviously the story of the gods who misbehave are the heroes who misbehave Mm -hmm. right Orestes is a prime example um, of the heroes and gods who misbehave and the furies are after them Mm -hmm. kind of thing it translated back to to how we were to behave Um, the Romans on the other hand (laughs) they saw Mars and that's exactly the kind of Roman soldier you were supposed to be Mm. you were supposed to emulate your gods Um, you know the good homemaker followed Minerva, right? And they mm-hmm. tried to emulate Minerva. The rulers would always try to emulate Jupiter mm-hmm. um, or Juno or, or whomever uh, their city or town or whatever was dedicated to. Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of things. So that's that mythologically, historically, is the real big difference between how the Greek gods and the Roman gods were worshipped. And Greeks yet it's were worshipped as a warning. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because it, it all comes down to behaviour and what mm-hmm. behaviour society is wanting the people to either emulate or not. It, so you've yeah. got your warning gods and you've got your aspire-to-be gods, but either way it's still behaviour and what yeah. we see as appropriate behaviour in whatever time mm-hmm. and space it is. And it's the yeah. same with the, the superheroes and, and the super rich, I guess. It's it's that if you've got right. superpower and ultimate power or power over others, how you use that. Yes. As they say in Spider-Man, with yeah. great power comes great responsibility. Absolutely. And and that's <laughs> what all our myth, mythological gods and, and superheroes are all about. It's mm-hmm. if you've got that power, how are you using it? Do you become evil? Do you become good? Are you just arrogant? Yeah. <laughs> or is it ego-driven? Is it pride? <laughs> so it's right. uh, yeah, it's just absolutely fascinating to me. So, what other gods would you look at to write for future stories? Any in particular? Um, yeah. Okay. So the I'm gonna give you a little sneak peek into <gasps> book two. Um, 
book two is, is going to focus very heavily on Hyperion. Oh. Her great-grandfather. Um, Helios will be there a little bit, um, mostly towards the end, I think, to pick up the pieces. Um, but Hyperion will be the big focus in uh, book two, which is called Awakening the Titan. I don't know if I'd put that out there yet, but boom! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, We're going to properly meet uh, Ambrose, which Mm -hmm. is my creation for Dracula's sire. Um, Because, you know, that's that's a great story story that's not being told. Yeah! Right! <laughs> right. I mean, we we got a bit of it in Dracula and told, and I really mm-hmm. like that take on it with the deal with the devil and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um. So I might work something into that with with this first half of book two, mm-hmm. um, and dealing with Ambrose because I gave you guys a sneak peek of of, <laughs> of their initial introduction mm-hmm. at the end of remaking the sorceress and in remaking the sorceress, <laughs> um. But they're actually, we're going to come to blows uh, in, in book two. Because Medea has her powers back, so she can defend herself. <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> Spoiler alert! I mean, it's not really. Yes. Uh, because I think you could say that one it. coming. <laughs> yeah, 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 that one was coming. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, having to deal with Hyperion mm-hmm. is indicated in book one. Mm-hmm. Um so at least for Awakening the Titan, which is book two, um, those are going to be my two big focuses. If other gods come into play, they haven't made themselves known to me yet. Okay. But I've only written about 500 words of the book. <laughs> so early <laughs> so days. I have no idea when it's coming. It's very early <laughs> days. Um, the Crossing doesn't have any guards in it. Gods in it. Dome City doesn't have any gods in it. I'm trying to think of if I actually have any stories right now that currently have deities of any respect in them. I don't think I do. I think it's just magic and supernatural um, beings. And so it and wouldn't surprise so me gods. elements <clears throat> peek through. Oh, given that we were talking, yeah, given that we were just talking about superheroes being uh, almost a modern day version of yeah, crazy ass gods. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. So that those kinds of elements will will sneak through in my other stuff. Um, I guess the closest I get to uh, to gods is in my new Windrider saga. Um, so I've. I've written book one. It's only about 20,000, 25,000 words. So it's nice and short. It's a good, quick, good, quick read. But I've submitted it off to the publishers oh, and good. I'm hoping to hear back soon. Um, but it is completely new for me because it is an entirely brand new world. Excellent. It's not, it's not Earth in the future. It's not Earth in the past. It's not Earth in the now um, in any sort of regard like the rest of mine are. It's not even parallel Earth. Like, the crossing one of my uh, works in progress has parallel earths okay. so it's a little bit sci-fi-ish yeah 
but on wings of fate is entirely new because it is entirely new world it is entirely new kind of set of Mm. physics and and magic that is not permitted in one side of the world in one country continent thing and magic that is permitted in the other um but it's also there are no oceans wow so have you found the world building for that has it been more mental work more more research more yes yep plotting yes so i had about (laughs) two-thirds of the book actually like the storyline plotted out before i started not as i plotted out i'd say like i didn't break it down by chapter Mm -hmm. um initially (laughs) then i started (laughs) afterwards um it was more of writing down what I knew I wanted in the book mm-hmm. synopsis kind of wise and then documents because this is all in google docs I love google docs <laughs> save my life google docs excellent um, it's yeah so I have the story so far kind of thing on how the book and future books are going to play out and then I have a history geography um religion sort of thing and planned out a bunch of stuff that way mm-hmm. um to help with the world building to help with the world building and to help keep myself focused and idea. i've actually created maps and i've had a friend of oh. mine help create a map for me so i can literally visualize because it's not like it's this idea. world yep right I don't know the geography of, yes, of that world yeah. off the top of my head, right? I mean, I, I do, I'm creating it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's not like here, right? It's not like I can open my door and see <laughs> mountains yeah. or, you know, point at a map and be like, okay, this is the, like, like I could with, with uh, remaking the sorceress when I was doing research on the locations. I can't open Google Earth. Mm-hmm. and point at a location in the Windrider saga because it doesn't exist so I had to build all of that and, and yeah that was definitely a mental exercise for yep. me so so it's and basically it's- you've, you've got almost a a I guess you could call it a, a bible but oh. some sort of version or a secondary book in a way with all of your oh. geography and rules <laughs> and how society works yeah. and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm I mean, it's not overly large. It, it will grow as I continue with the series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, what happened before the war? How long are we looking at society-wise has been kind of together? Um, are there any future things coming up that I might want to jot down that I had an idea for and I, you know, want to use later on? Yep. Um. I think that's a great a little idea. bit of yeah, a little bit of physics to figure out how the sky ships work. Um, Very cool, but it's it's really just wind and and inherent magic that nobody understands and will admit to using on the the main continent side, the Erlorn side, because magic is outlawed. And I think that <laughs> adds to that realism when telling the story as well that you've you've really grounded the characters in this world and and built the world around them I hope so I really tried to try to keep that in mind when I was writing these characters um because it it was such a different exercise for me and it is a very different story because it doesn't focus so much on the (laughs) romance and erotic I mean it focuses very heavily on the romance on Mm -hmm. the romance yeah but it doesn't 
they're like maybe one and a half scenes of erotica mm-hmm. in the book and it fades to black <laughs> so it's very different for me it's very yeah. very different because Same all thing. of my books have magic and have sex and have all of that because that's who i am as a writer mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah definitely challenge and i thought it was going to be longer than it was and it only turns out to be like twenty five thousand words I'm like, what is this <laughs> oh the stories tell you what they want to be don't they exactly exactly <laughs> So well, but before we two and three will grow. <laughs> yeah, oh for sure. Well, before we wrap up, I'll just give you I'll mm-hmm. shoot some rapid fire questions at you for, for some yes. uh, bits and pieces. So what are you reading right now? Reading um nothing recently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to audiobooks. I'm listening to audiobooks. I've got the Patricia Briggs series on audiobook, oh. the Mercy Thompson books. They're fantastic. They actually helped me as a writer because I really love the way she writes. Oh, I love so that's what I'm listening to. Wonderful. Yes. Okay. Well, what book is there? One book that you would recommend to anyone? Anyone who says, "Hey, I need a book to read." What do you recommend? Is what is that one book you recommend? That one book that I would recommend to anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, why not? I mean, I would I would love people to read Apotheosis. It, it is one of my favorite books ever, and oh, it's my that's baby a good recommendation. Yeah. Um, but if I had to tell people to read something and they enjoyed fantasy and urban romance and stuff like that, I would tell them to start with Blood uh, Moon Called, which is the first book of the Mercy Thompson series. Oh, cool fantastic all right so in your opinion what are the worst parts of writing the heartbreak (laughs) when you get so involved in your characters and their lives and you don't even realize that you're the one that's writing them and you're (laughs) you're putting them through it doing to them and you're doing it it's one thing to be the reader you can put the book down you can dnf it I would rather people not DNF my books. Please don't yeah. DNF my books. But you can. It is a personal choice. Yep. If I don't get through the writing, they will never read the book. So I have to deal with the pain. And Everybody what... else can just throw it away. Yes, I love it. So in that case, what's the best part of writing? Completion. <laughs> beautiful I'm, I love not, it. I'm not talking about publishing I'm not mm-hmm. talking about you know going through the, the drafts and all of that stuff when you get that last yes. word out and you and, and you write the end I was gonna say do you write the people, end I always do yes yeah I do I have to <laughs> I, I think that's like the way that they finally shut up in my head that's like when they finally go quiet and your yes. story is done it doesn't matter that it's in shambles. Yep. It doesn't matter that it hasn't been edited. <laughs> Your story is done. Yes. It doesn't it matter out that there. you know you're going to have rewrites. Mm-hmm. Endless. Done. <laughs> it's done. Oh, I and love that it. Sense of completion. It's 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 like coming home to a warm cup of cocoa. Oh, oh, I love that. That's on a cold brilliant. day. Oh. Mm-hmm. So what are you hoping that your readers will take away from your stories? Uh, I wish there was like a moral of my stories. Um, there's not. 
there's no big grand <laughs> secret to to the books they're for fun they're for enjoyment they are for pleasure I think the big thing I hope readers would take away from my books is joy in one form or another whether they're getting the rocks off from the sex scenes <laughs> or they're enjoying the fantasy mm-hmm. or the mythology or the romance or the angst and the characters whatever it is I hope my books bring people joy oh. I love that. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, well, actually, no, before I get to my, my okay, wrap okay. up, um, how do we find you? So are you online? You've got a website. Tell us the details. I do. I do. I do. Okay. So my website is a little awkward because it's through MailChimp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's through my through my newsletter. Um, but if you look up my link tree, Mm-hmm. which is under Natalie B. Author, because all of my socials are under Natalie B. Author. Great. Um, you, it will link you to my Patreon, my Medium, my Twitter, my Facebook, my Amazon page, mm-hmm. my, uh, my website, uh, my Twitch. Oh, shoot, I got to fix that. <laughs> um <laughs> uh my discord it, it's it's all connected uh my ko-fi although i don't keep that updated um it's all it's all there it's all on my link tree or you know uh if you want to shoot me a dm on twitter my dms are open don't say that <laughs> <laughs> um you can find me at natalie b author on twitter um yeah or samantha sapphire depending and your books are available online on amazon excellent so anyone wanting to catch up and grab natalie's books i would jump on there and do that they're all available on kindle unlimited except for uh titan of or remaking the sorceress all of my books are up on ku so if you you know have ku or if you prefer just writing, reading ebooks, they're all up there too. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you again, Natalie, for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, Give us a time difference between us. I, <laughs> I am, I'm a good day ahead of you. So yeah, I can say I the day's looking lovely. <laughs> Oh, lovely. I can't wait. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll just wrap up with as since we're on the write words podcast as Haley always says when we write we can't go wrong so I'm Laurie Bell and this was my takeover of the write words podcast and until next time bye for now bye thanks all bye thanks